Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Merry Christmas, First Gen family. It's the morning of Christmas Eve, and I am running late. Why am I running late? Because I was up till 1 a.m. with my wife, cutting up deer meat and packaging it and putting it in the freezer. We're still nowhere near done, but we got a lot of the work done last night. So anyways, I'm running behind. I'm dropping this podcast a few hours late. My apologies, but I hope it is still helpful to you, as I always do, and it's a really good episode. It's actually one of my favorite episodes because it's all about the success of two first-gen hunters you probably have gotten to know pretty well by this point, myself and my younger brother, Jake. We're titling this episode, Two Brothers, Two Bucks, for the obvious reason that these two brothers, these two first-gen hunters, had our most successful season yet. We've never done it before. We've never both tagged a buck in the same season. We've both tagged deer in the same season, but we have never tagged a buck in the same season. And it's a very good feeling for us. And you may be, you may be listening and uh, maybe you're a veteran hunter and you, you uh, uh, imagine are getting a smile on your face and probably think back to those early days when uh, uh, getting a buck was not a sure thing for you. And I uh, hope you're uh, getting some, some good uh, uh, memories coming to mind as you think through that. But maybe you're a new hunter. Maybe you had a season that was very similar to mine up until I went hunting for the buck that I ended up killing during gun season. My bow season was brutal, people. Uh, if you listen into episode 26, you know how that all went down with that buck back in October. Um, you know that I've had many, many sits where just nothing worked out. Um, deer weren't close enough or um, didn't see deer. Maybe that's been your season. Believe me, I know how it goes. I've eaten so much tag soup in my life that it's, it's uh, pretty uh, embarrassing to, to think back on sometimes. But it shouldn't be. And that's because hunting is hard. And if you are a first-gen hunter... You should not be embarrassed by any of your any of your results this year. The fact that you just got out and took yourself hunting, that's a big deal. And the good news is, if you keep doing the right things, if you keep, first and foremost, learning more about hunting, and you keep practicing with your gun, you keep practicing with your bow, you will get better and your time will come. You'll get your moment of truth and you'll get to pull the trigger and you'll get to wrap your tag around a beautiful uh, white-tailed deer. Or maybe you're hunting out west and you're hunting elk or maybe way up north hunting moose. Whatever it is, you put in the time and things will come together. Now, with that being said, I hope you're having a good day. I hope I hope you're even off from work for the day. Hopefully your workplace gave you a Christmas Eve off. But if not, whatever you're doing, I hope you enjoy tuning in to episode 34 of the First Gen Hunter podcast. Two brothers, two bucks.
Well, Jake, this is a first. We've been learning to hunt together. Well, sort of together. We've been hunting most of the time by ourselves, really, honestly. But we have had those handful of times where we've actually gotten to go out into the deer woods together and uh, try getting a nice animal on the ground. And uh, up until this year, that's been kind of up and down. In fact, there's been years when I tagged a deer and you didn't. There's been years I got a buck and you got a doe. And then there's been years that have brought us nothing more than a huge, heaping, steaming batch of tag soup. But not this year, not 2020, the year that has brought so much hardship, disappointment, missed plans, letdowns, not for us. Well, at least not in this way. Our hunting season, which we had both hoped would be a nice, bright spot in an otherwise chaotic year, has been that. And this is the first year ever where we both have full freezers and antlers for the wall. Pretty good feeling, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's an amazing feeling. I'm still excited about it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's interesting when you're... (laughs) When you look at our hunting uh, history together, and and even separately, because uh, I've been hunting a, a few years longer than you have, but there's both a lot of celebration that goes into it, and a lot of a lot of um, you know, what, when one of us has success, we feel nothing but happiness for each other. But there's also, I think, a little bit of competitiveness in a good way, in a brotherly sort of way, you know. You see you see your one brother who's taking these steps and you want to take those steps too and you want to, you, you know, you don't want to be the one who uh, has to eat tag soup because you didn't do it, you know, you didn't practice enough, you didn't go the extra mile or whatever. You know, and we both understand though too that so much of it is just having you know the right opportunity too so mm-hmm. that's that's not always in your control we can kind of try to make that more likely to happen but it's definitely not something that is in our control and we both understand that but it is a great feeling to to have that kind of bond that friendship that shared experience that we enjoy through hunting and it's been really great that this year has brought us some I don't know, maybe fulfillment is the mm-hmm. right term. But man, what a what a great year. Yeah, yeah, it was a great season all all along. Even the times that you didn't see any deer, it was still enjoyable being out. And I think both of us saw deer just about every time we went out. Yeah, you know, the that was early on it's nice that you say that and this is probably a good spot for us to start our conversation here this year i have felt like i've grown more as a hunter than all my other i guess it'd be five years of hunting together and you know i think there's there's almost like this this growth curve to anything you do not just hunting um, but it definitely applies to hunting and for some things, it's different than others, you know. There's some tasks, you know, might be like like uh, if you're doing a, uh, a new job and there's some task at your new job and it takes you like a week to really figure out how to do this one chore or this one responsibility. Then there's other things that 
you know, I, I remember from my coaching days, um, where, for instance, you know, you're coaching football and you're learning how to, to read the opposing team's defense and then make the right calls according to that, or the other team's offense, you know, make the right calls. You know, that takes years of experience <laughs> to really get to a, a point of proficiency. And I would say hunting is more on that end, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely takes time. Yeah, for sure. Now, there's some there's some times where people either A, they're just a natural and they catch on to it immediately and chances are that's probably just kind of life for them <laughs> in a lot of other skilled areas. They're just, whatever it is, there's just some people out there who, who know how to pick something up really quick. Um, but that has not been the case for me. Uh, I think you've probably picked up a little bit more quickly than I have with hunting, uh, which is a good thing. And, um, you know, it's been fun to, fun to kind of watch that happen for you. But mm-hmm. yeah, this year it's been, like you said, getting out early on, I just felt like I was on deer more often. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think you kind of felt the same way. And, and, uh, I think that shows that, you know, through these years we have been, <laughs> that we have been storing away some good information that, that stuck with us. And, and, uh, we've been, we've been doing the right homework and, and everything else, but let's just, yes. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think we've just kind of surrounded ourselves with guys that have hunted for so long that, I don't know, over the last 10 years or so, they've just been telling us all about hunting. And even though we didn't hunt at the beginning when they were telling us, we kind of just logged it away. And now as you get in the woods more, all those stories make sense. And as you listen to podcasts, you're like, man, now I know why they said that because they listened to this podcast three years ago. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So... Uh, whenever I talk to Fike, it's it's weird. I, I'm like three years behind on the podcast that he listens to, and I can remember things three years ago that he said <laughs> were from certain podcasts, and it's the weirdest thing. Yeah. He, uh, he related word for word to me. So, Wait, the First Gen Hunter podcast is not the only podcast you listen to? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not the, the only one. one. It's, not the, it's not the only one I listen to either. There's... Uh, and that's good. We should we should seek information from an abundance of sources, and I'm right there with you. You know, from those from those other resources that that we look at, from those other resources that we look at, we can see how what they're saying starts to play out once we learn these things, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I think this year has been the the year where I've seen that more. I saw it a little bit, I think, last year. I started to pick up on it. The years before that, and, I mean, it might sound kind of ridiculous, but I was, it was kind of like when you first start shed hunting, you know? When you first start shed hunting, you have this thing in your mind that this is totally random. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. there could be deer, there could be deer anywhere, and they could drop their antlers anywhere. And so if I'm just really lucky... It really, other than just going to where I know deer generally live and uh, spending a lot of time there and scour the ground for enough hours, I'll find an antler. Mm-hmm. Then maybe I can I can crack the code on that ran- randomness a little bit. But then as you kind of figure it out more as you go along, 
you start to piece all those little tiny intricate pieces of the puzzle together and it starts to make sense and you get this bigger picture view and each little piece of the puzzle creates that bigger understanding and then it starts to click for you and Mm -hmm. you you know then take that let's take that back again to the shed hunting analogy here you start finding more sheds and uh because you realize that yeah there is some randomness to it absolutely and uh, you could even be spending uh 100 of your time looking in areas where a buck spends 80 percent of his time uh but still not find an antler because he dropped it during the 20 percent of the time when he's running across roads and mm-hmm. and you know places where you wouldn't normally be looking so all that to say when it comes to deer hunting then Yes, we learn all these things. We aren't guaranteed that we're still going to see deer. There were still times this year when I got out and I didn't see any deer. But uh, overall, you're right. Piecing the puzzle together got me on more deer, got me more opportunities, and in the end, really paid off for both mm-hmm. of us. So Yeah, and I think uh, switching over or adding to uh, bow hunting, yes, it really just gives you a lot more time. Um, you can go out, sit longer more more times throughout the year and so you can kind of start piecing some of those pieces together where before if you just go one weekend or a couple days here a couple days there then you kind of forget about it for the rest of the year where if you got four months to think about it and go out a few times a month well then you can you can really start learning which i think has been huge for me is just starting bow hunting is just and it's during the time of year where you see more deer too so um yeah yeah i think for any first gen hunter i think adding bow hunting to your seasons is uh it's a great thing you could do to learn <clears throat> yeah i agree with that 100 percent. and i've had that thought several times too you know when you hunt only gun season which hey if that's your thing there's some people out th- out there that i know personally who are some of the greatest outdoorsmen i know of and i know some some pretty some pretty uh incredible outdoorsmen a lot of them have come through doing this podcast but um there's there's a handful of them who strictly gun hunt and if that's you that's all you're interested in hey more power to you for sure Mm -hmm. but if you are kind of like jake and me where you're just kind of a kind you're a developing deer nut and you, you just uh, want to learn whitetails better and you want to ha- have more opportunities and you just you want to kind of grow and hit that faster that faster lane of growth, Jake's right. Bow hunting just provides you with a situation where you can see deer behaving more naturally because of less pressure. You can pick and choose a little bit more on the weather because as jake said the season's so much longer i mean let's you know if you're if you're in our state here in iowa and you're a gun one season hunter because of the way the gun seasons work here in iowa if you hunt only gun one i think that season's only like five days long yeah, and that's it's not long yeah and that's assuming that you have off for work and uh you know and that the weather's going to be right you know, you might, it, it might be, I remember the first time I ever deer hunted, it was a gun too. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, let's see, today is December 22nd. I think it was right around the same time. It might've been like December 18th or 20th or something like that. And it was, uh, almost 70 degrees that day. <laughs> 
that's not crazy. a that's not a great day for deer hunting. No, I and, think this year gun t- one was like that too. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty warm, and so the point is, you're so limited on time, you're limited on what the weather's going to be, that it's tough to really see deer doing normal deer stuff uh, within that narrow window of time on a year-in, year-out basis. And so to really learn your prey, you need that that extra time, that extra exposure that you're given through uh, an archery season. So I agree 100%. And the learning curve for archery, for for most people, is significantly more challenging. So I think maintaining the right attitude through that is super important. And uh, let's kind of just start there, Jake. With this being both of our first year of really going after archery season, and again, I've said it in previous episodes last year, I got out because uh, I got word that I had gotten a hit on that one giant buck with uh, my early muzzleloader tag. And I was going to go try and uh, see if I couldn't, you know, run into him again and put an arrow in him. But beyond that, how do you feel you did with keeping that right, proper mindset of being brand new to this really challenging thing, but still, you know, wanting to have that success and, you know, balancing frustration and, um, you know, maybe impatience would be a good way to describe it as well. How do you feel you did balancing all that within that, that reality? Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like I balanced it well, but I had a unique situation in that, uh, I wasn't planning on bow hunting this year. Uh, but my friend Garrett Fike, who's been on the podcast before, he, uh, just up and gave me his old compound bow, uh, already had a single pin sight on it. Yeah, by, this... by old, that thing is, that thing's still, you know, very much so a... <laughs> yeah, very expensive, very <laughs> yeah, nice bow. Yeah, very nice bow, very, and, uh, uh, very, it, anybody would be happy to have it right now in 2020. Yeah, for sure. And um, so it was already dialed in. We had the same draw length. I mean, nothing had to change. Arrows worked. It was <laughs> ready to go. I had zero uh, involvement in getting it set up for the season. And so... Uh, he took me to the local archery shop and, uh, he gave me a few pointers and then sent me on my way. And, uh, thankfully I've shot, I've shot my, I have another compound that I use for bow fishing that I just shoot instinctively with. And so I've, I've been used to just shooting that in the summers, um, a few times in the summer. So I was, I wasn't like brand new to it. Right. So I kind of had some stuff to build off of, but, um, yeah, switching over to the compound and then having a sight, it, it gave me a lot more confidence than because then if I line this up with this, well then, and if I hold still, I I should be able to hit the target. And so, uh, and Garrett walked me through a few times, just t- tweaking my form and everything. Sure. And so, uh, and it was just fun to practice. I think I got it in August, maybe. And I would try to practice uh, a few times a week, maybe more. Um, and it wasn't like, oh, I got to go practice. But it was very enjoyable. I enjoyed doing that. I've got a good backyard for it. Um, and so, yeah, I just started at 10 yards or whatever. And then I got to the point where I would 
uh, shoot at 10 yards and 15 yards and then 20 yards and then kind of work my way back. And I try to shoot about 30 arrows every day. And, uh, oh, nice. that really, or not every day, but every time I went out, which is about three or four times a week. Good. And that really helped. Um, and so, so luckily I had good success with that and, uh, it wasn't like I was missing the target altogether. And so I could kind of get better and better. So it was nice to see the progress. It wasn't like I was flinging arrows over the hill or anything. <laughs> Although I did, I did bounce one off the ground and it went over my hill and I thought it went into the neighbor's yard. <laughs> it uh, scared me a little bit, but uh, it didn't go as far as I thought, thankfully. That's good. Um, so, yeah, so I didn't have too much frustration, thankfully. Um, I I would say I more had just a lot of enjoyment I even did a 3D shoot with Garrett and uh, friend Weston, and uh, that was a ton of fun. It was just good to uh, do that so you can get perspective of shooting at an animal and not just a target. So you can kind of say, oh, okay, so that would be a kill shot if I can shoot it here. Yeah. Um, and so and that was just a ton of fun to do that because it's like a game. Um it's just yeah, you know you know speaking of that i've often had the thought why do those why do those target companies whatever you know whichever one you want to name for for those uh 3d archery targets why do they go to the trouble to make those things so lifelike you know they they put in those giant plastic mm-hmm. racks that you shove into the the head of the target and yeah. everything it's like why do they go to, to all that trouble but you're right when i i i have one in my backyard it right now has a uh, peg leg you can uh fo- you can uh follow my instagram and and uh <laughs> go digging back through a few weeks ago or a month ago or so and find a post all about that but uh, um those antlers specifically i think they don't absolutely do not equate to the real thing in front of you not you know i'm not i'm not gonna try and blow smoke here but they do add a little extra bit of maybe alertness i don't know if i want to go as far as excitement because it's not like you think you're looking at a real deer but i think it just kind of almost like you know it, it, it maybe takes your uh your heart rate up a couple beats you know mm-hmm. and and you you get more of that reality and especially when you start adding in realistic elements like um i did a little practice this year i have this maple tree in my backyard that's like growing sideways out of this sideways out of this uh giant hill in my backyard so it's oh, like nice. it's like lean straight out of the hill and uh makes for a great um practice kind of like curtain for mm-hmm. you know hey if i'm you know if i'm sitting in a tree stand and i got a bunch of branches in the way how do i pick a hole you know that's big enough that's not going to deflect my arrow at all and uh you know hit the target that's beyond there or even spot the target through all that and so when you start adding in little little realistic tricks like that you it really does pay off i agree and mm-hmm. um I have not yet done a 3D archery course. I was supposed to do that one with you guys, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I had a Saturday detention that day, and I totally forgot. <laughs> and thankfully, there was nobody that was supposed to be there. So, uh, <laughs> I, 
Well, I remembered in time to where I could have made it in time. It was going to be a little rough. Like, yeah, you wouldn't but, have had Saturday detention yourself then. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, no, I uh, I couldn't go, and and uh, it was all okay though, and everything. But um, I do plan to do that, and I do plan to you know grow my my skills as an archer a little bit by doing that, and so and hopefully you know we can all get together and do that because I think it'd just be a, a fun thing to do with friends, but. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I I think that uh, when we look at both of our time as first-gen hunters, it's easy to focus on and pat ourselves on the back like, huh, I, you know, I, I took this on by myself. I, and that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. sure, we, you know, it is cool that we've, we've done some of that. But you're 100% spot on. We have been helped along. Um, by so many people you know even even the fact that we didn't grow up hunting we had parents that were willing to you know get us bb guns and pellet guns when we were kids to kind of almost fuel that fire and and uh you know let us uh run around in the woods pretty much totally unsupervised (laughs) yeah growing up and and uh you know running around with some of the neighbor kids that that did that really, you know, were into hunting and fishing and stuff even more than we were. And, and, you know, all that coming together. And then as you've even said now with friendships that are carried into uh, adulthood with guys that hunt and them encouraging us along the way, that's been a huge, huge leg up. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, everything Fike did for you this year, uh, certainly is an example of somebody who, understands the most important part of what we're doing and Mm -hmm. um doesn't want to just keep it to himself yeah it really pays it forward and kind of almost instills it into the next generation even though i'm older than he is (laughs) right right but and and you know you you hear people on occasion you know be like why would i want there to be more hunters less less deer for me or Mm -hmm. you know less opportunity for me essentially and I understand that. I understand what they're saying. Um, you know, let's be honest. When you pull up to a public land hunting area and you see there's already multiple cars there and you had just planned to be there, you're thinking, you're you're feeling maybe a little frustration or you're feeling a little uh, competitive spirit of, of uh, hey, that that's, you know, where I scouted. That's where I wanted to be or whatever. But... And I think that's human nature, and I try to I try to get that out of my mind as much as I can because, um, and I, and I do feel like I've I've gotten way better with that, but um, so I I understand where those people are coming from, but you do need to look at that paying it forward reality. You know, I have kids, and um, uh, obviously, you know. Uh, a lot of other hunters have kids who aren't yet into hunting or aren't grown and uh, nieces and nephews and, you know, neighbor kids and students and whatever else, just, just a future generation of people that they care about. And uh, if we hog hunting to ourselves, it's going to be a whole lot harder for them to uh, be able to enjoy it like we have. Um, and not just from the standpoint, you know, so often we focus on hunting rights, you know, we're going to get these rights taken away if we don't, we don't 
have people to stand up for them or have a pos- positive outlook on them. And I agree with that. You know, that's that's a very possible reality in the future. But also from a standpoint of land use, right? Uh, for the most part, people who hunt and fish, they care about the resource. You know, they want there to be they want there to be a healthy uh, deer population. They want there to be a healthy pheasant population, a healthy turkey population, a health, healthy uh, migratory, you know, all the different migratory bird species. They want all those things, and they want there to be good habitat. And the best way to keep that around is to have more people who are like-minded. And that's mm-hmm. one thing that can go away a whole lot faster than hunting rights is is um, something fragile like... Uh, uh, habitat and uh, wildlife populations, and so um, there's there's many reasons why we should care about that and and take that approach that Fike has and and many of the other friends that uh, there's too many to even list who've helped us along the way, and um, so I I agree with you there for sure. You know I asked you about we kind of start rambling there a little bit, but uh, I I started by asking you how you did i guess keeping things in the right perspective as a as a learner of archery and uh, someone who's new to bow hunting and having a realistic expectation for yourself and for how the season's going to go and you know there's so many factors that go into having the right attitude <laughs> mm-hmm. you have to have you have to have realistic goals you have to understand how progress happens Sometimes you got to put blinders on for seeing what everyone else around you is doing or, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not even talking about close friends or brothers or cousins or whatever. I'm talking getting on social media and seeing, uh, you know, seeing people who've killed multiple deer already or who are saying, yeah, I had a, had a, uh, 160 pass by my tree today, but I don't know. I figured I'd give him another year. And, you know, you, you start you start seeing some of that stuff, and you can just really lose focus and lose the correct perspective as mm-hmm. as a new, you know, when you're new at anything, but specifically here, bow hunting. And how did you kind of handle all that? I know you were pretty busy during uh, the early part of the hunting season, but maybe can you just kind of talk about, what your experiences were leading up to, you know, the, the climax of this story and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how you did maintaining the right perspective there. Yeah. So I guess, uh, uh, going into this season, I did a lot better job planning ahead in past seasons. It's kind of like, I know late muzzleloader is around this date and I'll figure it out two weeks before. He was not good at planning his hunting seasons, people. <laughs> I just figured it'd fall into place. I'd figure it out when I get to it. And then, you know, get a week before and then, like, oh, no, now I got to start making some plans here. And then it ends up being stressful for everybody involved. Um, but this year, I don't know, I think just about when I got that bow, uh, I looked at the calendar and said, okay, um, I'm free these weekends. So I'm going to hunt this weekend, this weekend, this weekend, this weekend, and this weekend. And I told myself, um, I'm probably, these weekends are open, but I'm not going to plan on hunting these, plan on spending these with Gigi. And so I just will say no if Ken asks me, um, or it might be a maybe, or it might be a yes, cause it's free. 
But I went ahead with the calendar marked saying these weekends I'm for sure hunting. I asked him off for work. And uh, then I knew that the planning aspect of having the time free wasn't going to be a worry. And that really helped um, going into it. Yeah. And then so uh, then when uh, we started uh, the season, and I think we went the opening weekend. And mm-hmm. I think that was one of those weekends I wasn't necessarily planning on, maybe, or maybe I was. And uh, you asked me to go. And then, uh, so when other people started shooting deer, it didn't worry me too much because I knew I had a couple seasons or a couple day, a couple weekend trips planned. Uh, yeah, each, later each buck that goes down early, it's like, well, there's one more buck I can't get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like 10 counties away. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so, uh, so I, I didn't, I never really got too worried and, um, I just really enjoy the experience of hunting more than, uh, taking the animal. I mean, taking an animal is amazing, but I just, I just like getting out there. I think one of my favorite parts of hunting is walking out to the stand in the dark without turning my headlamp on. Yeah. Just seeing if I can find my way with no help at all of light. Um, it's just kind of fun and walking back that way and so i just looked forward to that that i I had two more hunts that i could do that one more hunt that i can do that and so i never really did get discouraged um i was excited to hear of your near successes (laughs) and seemed like you kept getting closer and closer and uh but i guess i never really got discouraged ever um you had had a little bump you had a little bump in the road and uh what is that? It, it it had to do with something that uh you that I uh put a sound bite in on the uh deer season kickoff uh video we did. And uh you were doing a little snacking at the wrong time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do tell. Yeah, so um I get really sleepy really easily. And so I usually bring snacks to kind of keep my mind engaged. And uh, I busted out the granola bar. It was out of a Ziploc bag. And I was munching down or else I was going to fall asleep. And it was only like 9 o'clock in the morning. And Yeah, uh, I basically have to convince this kid not to bring, you know, like uh, hard shell tacos to the stand. You know, so, <laughs> Yeah, that might be a little loud. <laughs> yeah, chips are my favorite food. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I was... I was uh, munching away, and I was putting it back in my backpack, and it was just making so much racket. And I was like, oh, forget it. I'm not going to go slow. Cause it's kind of like when you open a Velcro pocket in church or something, you know, where you <laughs> try to get, just try to, get to your tots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, so I had that feeling of, okay, I'm just going to make, all the noise in one second instead of over 20 seconds. And so I did that and I heard right behind me. And, uh, I was like, Oh no, what have I done? And I looked behind and deer, uh, stomped and ran off and then spooked up another big buck that was coming down the Creek. And he ran off into the corn and was like, Oh man, I would have been able to shoot that deer at like, eight yards if it would have kept walking in front of me and uh so 
that was that wasn't super disappointing. It was kind of more funny in a way, I guess. It was kind of like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And would I make the same mistake again? Probably. I I, <laughs> I really just enjoy eating. Uh, Maybe you need to find like there. a uh, like a more quiet. Uh, a more quiet snack container. You know, I've seen people who will uh, unpackage all their snacks and put them in like Ziplocs or something. Yeah, you know? I did make an I did make a, an adjustment uh, when I went later. I wrapped all my food and like I undid like you know those peanut butter crackers that come in the crinkly plastic. <laughs> oh my goodness! I, <laughs> I took that plastic off and then I would I rolled them up in a big paper towel wad. Okay, and yeah. then so. I could open the Ziploc bag then, and then the Ziploc bag was full of paper towel wad, and then you can kind of just stick your hand in there and munch down. So you did learn. You did learn. That's I good. did learn. Yeah, that but is good. Um, yeah, I'm still I'm still gonna take food. I think <laughs> till the day I die. Maybe I'll change, but uh, no, there's nothing gotta, wrong with that. You gotta. It's kind of like being on your cell phone while you're hunting. You know, some people, they'll be like, oh, you should never be on your cell phone. In fact, the very first tip of the day I did for episode number one was bring a battery bank with you so you can be on your cell phone. Because sometimes the monotony, I mean, the scenery is great. A good day or a bad day of hunting is always better than a good day of working. I agree 100%. But if you're sitting in the same tree stand for 12 hours straight, and it's a slow day of hunting, um, you're going to need something to stay engaged. You're either going to fall <laughs> asleep, and uh, when I sleep, I am louder than when I am awake. <laughs> That's just the truth. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you don't want to be uh, having your sleep apnea, you know, waking up every deer, <laughs> every deer in the woods. <laughs> but, uh and uh you know jake also gets night terrors when he sleeps so you can really imagine what it's true what that would do <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe we're getting old i don't know but yeah, um, you always told me once you get above uh what was it 25 that your body starts changing i didn't so believe true, it but man. holy cow it's so true you know, you know the biggest change for me is uh lately um just while we're getting real personal here the gray hairs man Oh. The the I am getting some uh, nice white walls on the uh, <laughs> sides of my dome. I am uh, I'm I'm starting to get a lot of gray hair. And, That's scary because uh, you're what five years older than me. I know I know it, but our uh, maternal grandfather, which you know as a as a uh, biology teacher, I should do more research into this. But a, a common claim <laughs> is that you. Uh, uh, receive hair uh, uh, traits from your maternal grandfather. Um, and uh, I've just never really taken the time to fully investigate that claim. But if that is true, uh, we're, we're lucky because our, our grandfather has a full head of hair, but uh, he went white pretty early. Uh, so uh, I think I'm I think I'm right on the cusp of that. But um, Uh-oh. But yeah, so having all of our old man problems, falling asleep, could be alleviated by having some snacks or having a cell phone to be messing with while you're while you're in the tree stand and um you know certainly uh you got to do what you got to do to to stay awake so i think that's a good adjustment you made and uh, it's good to hear that you didn't get too frustrated because 
my hunting leading up to that. Yeah, tell us a little bit. You, you can uh, <laughs> you can go back to episode 26 and hear all about the heartbreaking story uh, that happened there. Uh, but, you know, probably one of the most positive things, and as heartbreaking as that story was, honestly, truly, that was one of the best moments in my life as a hunter. Uh, just living through that excitement, having a deer... At bow range, um, you know, speaking of Fike, when he was consoling me on the phone um, after that, he's like, you won. You beat him. You uh, you uh, outsmarted him. You had, you got the drop on a on an old buck. And, you know, that felt good to hear somebody like Fike tell me that. Mm-hmm. And uh, But just from the reality sense, yeah, that felt amazing to be in that that situation and so as heartbreaking as it was it was a good experience overall uh from just a a hunting growth and you know confidence booster and and that kind of thing but uh another thing that people can uh kind of see the background story on is go onto uh the first gen hunter youtube page and uh it's the last vlog i need i have so many so much footage i think i'm just going to put it together into one or two big just deer season in general uh vlogs but um you can see that trip that jake talked about that he and i went on uh we did a paddle in trip and uh that was a an amazing uh night of hunting jake actually ended up passing on a uh little half rack six um probably uh uh i don't know maybe a two and a half year old buck um uh Jake passed on him though, and um, he <laughs> also he, got uh, busted. <laughs> yeah, but not by too. the buck. He got busted by a doe. I watched that happen, and uh, um, I didn't have. It was kind of so. an interesting bit of foreshadowing there, though. As Jake and I, Jake talks about, he enjoys walking in the dark. I don't think either one of us enjoyed that walk back to the canoe in the dark. There was so much poison ivy, and yeah. we're trying to be careful. Uh, Jake is like highly allergic to poison ivy and uh so we were we were trying to find our way back to the canoe in the dark and while we were doing that we were talking and jake's like you know what maybe i shouldn't have passed on that buck you know it's kind of like the bird in the hand versus you know whatever the saying is and and uh we we're kind of talking it's like yeah well it's the right decision now because you can't go back and mm-hmm. and uh do anything about it so you know we were we were just having that conversation then as you're going to hear with my story uh the the way that buck was kind of some foreshadowing for my story but uh um jake then ends up i think it was you had only hunted two more times after that and you had a buck on the ground and yeah um i mean had you have taken had you have taken that buck it would have been great i don't want to diminish any animal that anyone mm-hmm. ever shoots and pulls you know i think every animal is a trophy in its own right and um to not treat it that way is is a mistake that i think um anyone who's hunting for the right reasons will regret eventually um but jake decided nope this is my first time out i'm going to hold I'm going to I'm going to see if um I get get a chance at something that trips my trigger a little bit more later down the road and that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of tell us about your greatest day 
of being in the outdoors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, First Gen Nation, I hope you're enjoying this tale of two bucks for two brothers. It is one of my most favorite episodes to record uh, because it includes a really good, successful story, something that was a very happy moment for me. Well, I do want to give you a tip that pertains to this specific story. It was the fact that my wife and I were hunting in a buddy stand together. Maybe you have done some of that. Maybe you've taken a new hunter out like I did with my wife. Or uh, maybe you just want to sit in a buddy stand with your significant other. Um, Maybe uh, you're taking your kid out or whatever it is. You find yourself in a buddy stand. And that's great. It's awesome uh, to have that shared experience, that that company of, of having another person there with you. But it also presents some unique challenges. Mainly, whatever your human impact would normally be has now been essentially doubled. Okay, so uh, you think of a deer's big senses that uses to alert itself to, to clear out of the way. That's gonna be its sense of smell, its eyesight, and its sense of hearing. Now, smell and hearing, uh, those things can be addressed through uh, using the wind well and um, you know just being careful not to make any additional noise. Vision is where we have to be smart with our camouflage. I think I mentioned at one point, I wrote an article, you can find it on firstgenhunter.com, about how to, I guess, maybe uh, tactically... Uh, improve your blaze orange game (laughs) we're required to wear blaze orange for our own safety and uh, I think that's fine and great Um, but I think you can be kind of strategic with that and kind of still be able to camouflage yourself a little bit well the same thing applies when you're hunting with a buddy up in the stand Um, one of the ways you can do this is to basically create a a mixture of different shades of color for the deer. Now, uh, biologists have determined that deer really don't see color very well other than, I believe it's the color blue. So don't wear blue into the stand. Um, But also then, uh, that means that every other color is probably looking like some different shade of black, white, and gray to them. And that's a good thing for us. Okay, that allows us to do a pretty good job camouflaging by creating these different patterns, this breakup in the coloring. You know, if we look like one solid bar of color, well, then that's probably going to look unnatural and uh, going to uh, cause the, the deer to spook when they see it. So one thing you can do when you're hunting a buddy stand is make sure that whoever's hunting with you has different colors of hunting gear on than what you do so that you create this multiple layers of shades and colors and helps uh, camouflage you better even though there's two of you and theoretically it's harder to not be seen by the deer so uh, that's what my wife and I did we had different colored coats on obviously we still had to wear a blaze orange uh, and we had different colored pants on 
And the buck looked at us, and as you hear in the story, I think he eventually kind of noticed us, but it was too late for him at that point. I was able to get a shot off. Uh, but before that, I think it, our breakup in color really helped us. And of course, uh, we were being as still as we could to not uh, be seen or alert the deer. But uh, that is one way that I think you can hunt with a buddy without uh, adding those additional challenges that um, basically make it... Uh, harder to uh, uh, fool a deer into close enough range to get a shot so uh, make sure you use that approach layer uh, your uh, your colors and shades and uh, take advantage of how deer see to in order to uh, get close enough to the deer to get that good shot well let's go ahead and get back to part two of the show here and continue hearing the story about the two bucks that uh, my brother and I were able to get this season. So I think it was uh, like November 13th, I believe, that I went out to a farm that we have in Iowa. And um, uh, that was kind of my big trip I was really looking forward to. I, I went to another one for a couple of days in uh, central Iowa, grandparents. Uh, but this one, you know, I was going all by myself. It was, I was going to stay in a hotel by myself. So it was kind of just like a personal retreat almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, um, I was really excited. I, I always enjoy going out to this property. Um, it's just a big property with hills and timber and ponds and a river and so it's just kind of got everything you could want um and uh thankfully one of our friends has been hunting down there and he had been doing some work he had some trail cameras up because we kind of kind of knew what was down there um and he actually set up a ladder stand and just about the perfect place on that farm to see a lot of deer and so Again, it was kind of handed to me, and uh, I can't take any of the credit for <laughs> that where I sat or anything. Um, he said, there's a stand over there if you want to sit in it, and so I went and sat in it. And uh, I think I got there at about 6, six in the morning, and I think shooting light was at 6.30. Hmm. And... So I think I climbed right up into my stand, and before I could even clip my harness to the tree or get my bow pulled up, I it was a frosty morning. I think it was like 14 degrees. Um, it's a buck killing day right there. <laughs> yeah, it was the the coldest day of the year so far, I think. And I all, heard a lot of cr- all, crunching. Also worth noting. Now this is a this is a hotly debated topic. Uh, but I think the way that a good buddy of mine, who is one of the best deer hunters I've ever met, um, Chris Dyer, episode eight, um, he mentions in that episode another, I guess you could say, out of your control factor that was at work at that point. And it was a new moon day, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was dark. You know, some people kind of view it, the moon, as there's some sort of mystical or, you know, something we can't fully understand that's at work here for why it affects deer movement. And there's some really big names in hunting that kind of almost 
take it that way. That's not Chris's approach. His was very much so, so a logical suggestion, which is during a new moon, those nights are much darker than any other night on the calendar because you know you're taking the biggest light in the evening sky and turning it off essentially and because of that deer can't be quite as active what uh during the nighttime hours and uh as a result they stay active uh because it's during the rut and that was the other part of what he said new moon during the rut and because they're already just way more active than normal during daylight hours, they're going to be even more active because they can see what they're doing, essentially, better uh, in the daylight. And they weren't able to really see what they were doing as well when it was pitch black out because of the new moon. And so I believe that was a new moon day, right? Or just mm-hmm. followed a new moon the night before? close to it if it wasn't. Yeah, within one day. and. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you had that going too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just so cold and uh, frost on the ground. Um, so that probably helped a little bit too with scent and whatnot. But uh, yeah, so I got to the stand uh, 6 o'clock, 6.10, something like that. And once I got to the top, I couldn't clip in. And uh, I had a buck walk in. I couldn't see any antlers. It was too dark to see any antlers. I mean, it could have very well been the buck I shot, uh, but it, it was the same size body-wise. It just looked hmm. like a big body deer, and um, it was all by itself, and I, it just looked like a buck. And so um, he walked right where I shot my other one, too. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, wow, that's exciting. And so, you know, I couldn't get my strap on so i was like well i'm just gonna sit down and grab my bow just in case he hangs out here in this little meadow until shooting light and so he kind of walked around for a little while but he uh left after 10 minutes or so so i still had about another 20 minutes and so i go to put my strap on again and then a doe walks out (laughs) i couldn't even get my strap on and so i sat down again so i didn't spook her and watched her for a little bit, and then she left. Then I got my strap on. Then it was like, game on. Uh, I'm ready to do anything now. I'm all set, ready to go. Um, And then I uh, had action all day long. So I sat in the stand from 6 in the morning till uh, I think I ended up sitting till about 5. Uh, I shot my deer at 4, but uh, so almost 12 hours. And, um, so I, uh, just had action all day long. Uh, I ended up seeing 45 separate deer all together. Um, I saw several that I I recognized them and I I tried not to count them if I recognized them. I mean, some of them might've been the same, but, um, based on the groups they were in, I would usually see them in about groups of three or four, it seemed like, or maybe two a few ones but um i had heard and read about uh during the rut uh the deer action but i've never experienced it and boy that was something that i it's hard to explain how cool it is i mean yeah just seeing the bucks follow the does and 
when you see a doe, you get excited because you're like, I know there's a good chance there's going to be about 20 yards behind her. And then all of a sudden you hear grunting and then out walks a buck. And so, yeah, they were just coming in waves. It seemed like every 30 minutes, 15, 30 minutes, it seemed like they'd come in little groups. And uh, I would see some groups again. Um, and so I didn't get bored once. I didn't eat anything until I think <laughs> one o'clock and I didn't have time to. And so, uh, they would just stay on the outside of bow range though, or they'd walk behind me where I couldn't really get a shot at them. Uh, I stood up a few times for a few, uh, just big bodied six pointers and I just, I couldn't get a shot off, but I, yeah. I stood up and uh, I was just waiting for him. And, uh, so it was just action all day long. I didn't get bored at all. I didn't really, I got a little bit cold. So I took my hot hands and I shoved them down to my boots. <laughs> and so then I had claustrophobic feet for a little while, but I knew that my feet would adjust to it, but they'd be warm. Claustrophobic feet. <laughs> yeah. They were, you know how that is when you wear too big of socks and your shoes or something, you just feel Can't like. move your feet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, need, you needed to hear episode 32 I, when we talk to Alex and he tells you how to keep your feet warm and wear I those. First. But I guess uh, a tip would be if your feet are really cold and you got enough room in your shoes, throw some hot hands in there. It works. <laughs> and, uh, Better than nothing for sure. Mm-hmm. And so I went through about my two days worth of hot hands and that morning because I, <laughs> I would pull my hands out of my muff and then they'd fall out on the ground. It make me so mad because I wasn't about to climb all the way down there to go get them. Right. Um, but luckily, I had some extras. But that's another thing that's hard to open quietly. Mm. Those packages. You but, can't. You can't prepackage those either. They're air activated. <laughs> I know. Um, so, but I had action all day long, and then so I ate lunch about one o'clock. I figured I'll be able to eat lunch at noon. I'll probably slow down at noon. Well, noon came and went and I was still getting action. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm getting hungry here. Can you guys just like give me like a 30 minute break here? Or... <laughs> and Oh man. Uh, you know how many people hate you for making that statement right there? <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> I was enjoying every minute of it. Um, and then, so it slowed down for about a, a little while. And so I started eating I just kind of jamming my face full, but then again, more deer would come through, and I'd have to. I didn't want them to smell the food. I don't know how well they smell food if they're scared by food. I I don't know if that more experienced people would know that, but only if it's um, a deer burger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If, I mean, my dogs go nuts over granola bars, so I can imagine. Yeah, I'm that. sure they can smell them just fine. <laughs> yeah. I just I don't know if it attracts them or not, but. Um, That's why you should only eat celery and kale and <laughs> yeah, right. Corn, um, you can bring in some, you know, field corn and yeah. chaw on that a little bit. Bust your teeth, uh, but maybe candy corn. Maybe that would work. Uh, yeah, close enough. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I ended up eating lunch. I couldn't even finish lunch all the way because they uh, deer were still coming. And then it slowed down from about 2 to about 3.30. And uh, our friend that hunts down there, he texted me. He said, how's it going? And I said, oh, I've seen, I don't know, probably there's like 20 or 30 deer at this point. He's like, oh, well, it's going to get really active at 3.30. And I was like, okay, I'm excited to see what 3.30 brings. And boy, 
right when the clock struck 3.30, it turned into a circus. It was, <laughs> I mean, they just, it was like clockwork. They came rolling out, and there was grunting all around me. There was deer chasing. Uh, one thing I heard about is deer running on loops during the rut. I've, I have read about that somewhere. And uh, sure enough, there is this uh, a buck chasing this doe and just running in circles. And then uh, <laughs> two little forks. Porkies came in and they started chasing the doe and the buck would chase them off. And then they just kept running in a big circle. I would lose them for a little bit. And then sure enough, they'd come right back around the horn. And so that, that was just really cool. And then about four o'clock, uh, this six pointer came out chasing a couple does. And, uh, I was like, Oh, okay, this is, this is going to be the one I'm going to shoot. He's, he's, I think he's going to get close if he goes through here. And then all of a sudden, the the nine pointer that I shot came out, and I was like, "Okay, forget forget about the six pointer. I'm going <laughs> to keep my eyes on him." And so, I mean, the six pointer could have walked underneath me for all I know. Uh, <laughs> I had my eyes on that nine pointer, and I I knew there was one spot that I could get a shot off that they were running, but it was going to be hard. It was off to my right behind the stand, basically. Oh and man, so, it's like the most challenging shot. Yeah, and I'm a right-handed <laughs> archer. And so, at that point, there was deer everywhere. I start like stopped counting because they were just crossing all in front of me. It was kind of hard to keep my eyes from going cross-eyed because they, <laughs> they were just running all over the place. It was hard to focus. And then I just focused on that nine-pointer, and I think I even had a few does run underneath me. Then after that, and I was just waiting for him. It was like, he's either going to go that, that path or that path. And, um, he would, he had lost the does a little bit. So he was smelling the ground to kind of see where they went. And so I pulled my bow back, but my strap was kind of wrapped around my shoulder cause it was off to the right. And so I kind of had to crouch down to draw back. And then, um, I knew he was going to come out one of two paths. And of course he chose the one farther from me. And, uh, he came out and I was like, man, once he walks out, that's when I have to take the shot. And so I was holding it. I don't know how long I was holding it for, but it's for a little while. And he came walking out and I took the shot and I hit him (laughs) right in the back legs. I mean, not, (laughs) not in the guts, not behind him. I mean, right in the back legs yeah and i was like oh man what have you done jake you're gonna be trailing this deer for eternity and so then he he didn't really phase him too much he's kind of just like whoa what was that um and so he kind of took he's just started walking slowly farther from me and then i could get another shot off at about 50 yards so i tried to take another shot but I went just underneath of him. And then I was like, I need to save my last broadhead for if, if he walks in front of me, uh, closer. So I just watched him. He walked about 50 yards. He kind of laid down for a little bit and just stood there. Then he got up and I was like, man, I was praying, please walk in front of me. And then he didn't, he ended up walking into the woods a little bit farther away, but I think total, he might've gone a hundred yards. And then he laid down, right in front of my stand so straight out in front of me probably about 
I don't know, 70 yards from me, 50 yards maybe, I don't know. And uh, I watched him lay down, and so I had my eyes on him, so I was just watching him through my binoculars, and I could see he still had his head up. And then he put his head down, and he kicked his legs a couple times and didn't move after that. And this all happened in about 15-minute time period. And uh, I was like, man, I... I think he might be dead. And I had been texting you and Fike and, I don't know, maybe somebody else and Weston maybe. And uh, Fike's like, I think he's dead, Jake. And I was like, okay, I'm going to wait till 5 o'clock and then I'm going to go look. That way I can squeeze a shot off if he jumps up when I walk up on him or something. Yeah. Um, and so I got down at 5 o'clock. I torture waiting there. And uh, sure enough, he was dead. He had, I had taken out the arteries in his back legs, and he bled out. And uh, so it was about the luckiest bad shot you could get. Um, so Sometimes it's, it's better to be lucky than good, though, you know? <laughs> yeah. I figure it's God's way of keeping me humble because oh, I was just like, yeah, man, my first buck, I nailed it right behind the shoulder. How good am I? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so then I had to take strategic pictures not to show the back legs. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Nick Wilkerson, uh, spotted it right away in your strategic picture. <laughs> I know. Yeah, well, then uh, when I uh, he's like, "What do you do? Shoot that thing in the butt?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I uh, walked up to it. And I wanted to take some pictures, but my phone was almost dead, and uh, I think I had like seven percent or something. And one thing I didn't realize is that uh, if your phone's almost dead, your camera won't focus on the on the oh. deer. And so I was taking pictures, and I was like, why? That just doesn't look right. And then I got one or two to focus, thankfully, um, and some good lighting. But after each picture, my phone would turn off. And it's like, oh. oh. And, you know, it's like a 30-second process or a minute process to turn it back on after each picture. And so I just decided, forget it. I'm going to run up the hill uh, to my truck and charge my phone and drive down here. But it's like a, I don't know, I think it took me me 45 minutes (laughs) to get to the stand. And I bet you 30 minutes if you walk fast. And so I just told myself, I left all my gear and everything there. And I ran as about as fast as I could up the hill. It's a hundred percent uphill too. And I got like, I was like, if I can just make it to the end of that bean field, well then I can walk fast. I won't run anymore. And I was huffing and puffing all the way up the hill and, uh, got to the truck, plugged my phone in and drove down, uh, as close as I could. And, um, I almost got stuck. I almost tried going through a ditch. I was like, no, you're by yourself. You'll get stuck. And, uh, so I got, I got, I got back down there. I took some pictures and, um, yeah, it was just, it was an awesome day. Um, I don't think I'll ever, I don't know, maybe I will, but I don't expect to ever get a day that good again, seeing that many deer. And I mean, I saw more deer after I shot them that I couldn't even count because I wasn't focused on it. It was, they're just right. running all over. Um, and so I, that's just not something that happens every day. So I was just very thankful that I experienced that day of seeing that many deer. Plus, I was able to 
um, kill a, a great buck um, on top of it. So it's kind of like I was able to maximize the experience that it couldn't have gotten any better, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I was very thankful for it. Um, I just, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it really keeps you wanting to go back out again because it's just, I just really enjoy watching the animals is my favorite part probably. Um, just seeing them come where you think they'll come out. And when they do, you're like, man, that's really cool. Um, and just being in their world and they have no clue that you're there. Um, not one deer the whole day knew I was there. I had a few does look up towards me, but they went down one to me, looked at me, they figured, nope, it's nothing. So that was just cool. It's like I was invisible and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then, yeah, after that, I, uh, drug it out and, had to gut the second deer I've ever gutted in my life by myself. <laughs> and, uh, that was a, like a good learning experience. Um, I'm glad that I was there by myself doing that. Cause you just learn so much when you have to figure it out by yourself. It yeah. Just really the, the worst part of doing it by yourself though, is the stinking back leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it keeps flopping down. You got to like get your body in some weird position to keep it from <laughs> yep. shutting step up on, on you. one, step on the yep. other. No, but, that's... Yeah. I guess another cheater tip I used was <laughs> I took my ice fishing hut and I get cold hands really fast. And so I knew it was going to be freezing cold when I had to get a deer if I shot one. So I, brought my ice fishing hut pop-up hut and i popped it up over the deer and uh i put up a lantern inside and lit it up and i could see what i was doing i was nice and warm and so if you got an ice fishing hut i would suggest using it especially if you're new to it and you don't know what you're doing and it takes yeah. you a long time because boy nothing makes you more frustrated than cold hands in a dark situation you know so yeah, I, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's a lot of talk you hear, debates. Should you drive a four-wheeler to your stand? Should you not drive a four-wheeler to your stand? Should you, should you uh, you know, try creeping in? Should you uh, make a lot of noise getting in so that you don't seem like you're, you know, some kind of predator on a stock or whatever? And I don't know what the answer is to those things. I do know that there's, it's not a blanket statement that you can make that yeah it's always safe to drive your four-wheeler to the stand or no it's never safe to drive your four-wheeler to the stand or you know whatever i think probably a lot of that has to do with the time of day you're doing it too you know are deer moving at mm -hmm. that time are they used to seeing people doing farm work at you know five in the morning or <laughs> is that pretty <laughs> odd to see a truck or a four-wheeler coming across <laughs> the field at 5 a.m you know and so I do think there is something, though, to to the argument there in favor of that kind of thing, that if you don't seem like you're hunting, it's almost like the deer are a little bit more at ease, you know, and and um, there's people that go squirrel hunting, there's people that even still uh, do some raccoon hunting or pheasant hunting uh, right in the thick of deer season, and the deer adjust, and they, they seem to do okay when they know they aren't the target. And, you know, I can't imagine too many deer have been hunted from uh, 
an ice shanty with a light in the middle of it. <laughs> you know, being as obvious as possible. Of course, they get hunted out of uh, ground blinds and stuff, which isn't much different. But but uh, I think that was a fine idea. And uh, in a moment like that where you're trying to do something challenging, which is field dress a deer by yourself for the second time ever uh, in the dark. And, uh, you know, hey, that made you comfortable. It helped you get it done. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's no that's no easy task. So I think it's a great idea. There's also another little hidden tip in there that Jake mentioned. He talked about how he got he got out of the stand and all he said was because he assumed you were reading between the lines here which you know hopefully you were but if not i kind of wanted to point it out he said i got out of the stand at i think he said five o'clock which was still within a a shooting light at that point Mm -hmm. and that's the point it was within shooting light um when you and maybe there's a law that I'm not aware of, but I don't think you are allowed to fire any kind of weapon at a deer, regardless of if it's injured or healthy. Well, for sure, if it's healthy, it has been hurt. But even if it's injured, I don't think you can fire a shot after legal shooting light. And um, so if you're going to go and track an animal that you know wasn't dead last you saw it, you need to give yourself a chance to get that last shot in within mm-hmm. legal light. And, uh, you know, um, uh, I think that was really a smart and a, you know, in a way a mature hunter thing to do there. And, and, uh, you weren't cutting corners or cheating the rules or anything like that. And so I think that that's a great little hidden tip there along with the ice shanty. That's a good tip too. <laughs> yeah. All about comfort. Yeah, yeah, snacks and ice shanties. Maybe that's what that's we could right. title this uh this our episode. <laughs> well, yeah. for as as quick and efficient as Jake's deer season was, um you listeners who've listened long enough and again, if not go back to episode 26, you can hear the whole saga of of kind of how my deer season went up to to this point. But uh, it was kind of a disappointing bow season for me. And um you know, obviously I shot the one didn't end up getting a, a lethal shot on him and um, actually had an, another couple close opportunities um, that didn't work out. And uh, I was, you know, I was, I gotta be honest. I was, I was feeling it. I was kind of having kind of a negative attitude there for a while. Uh, thankfully I never got like jealous of anyone or, you know, you know, thinking bad on or talking bad on on anyone which i think is the ultimate low that you can reach when you when you let your attitude get bad but i was getting a little negative almost to the point of like being kind of uh i don't know a little little uh sore i don't know i don't know how to describe it but i was definitely down and then i just started to i you know, I get so busy during this time of year with, with work and with, uh, now with, you know, running the channel and everything that I really honestly watch almost zero TV, um, of any kind. And the other day I, I took a break and I started watching a well-known hunting channel on YouTube and a guy who I, I really respect and, and, uh, really enjoy watching his content was hunting. And, um, he missed a buck 
and uh, the buck bedded after he missed him. The buck bedded like just out of bow range, like maybe I don't know, 50 yards from him. The entire day, we're talking, we're talking. He saw him like at first light, first legal shooting light. Took a shot and missed, and uh, didn't get another shot until. Well, yeah, didn't get another shot. Almost got another shot at last light and watched the buck the entire day. And it was the only deer he had a shot at, and he was out of state, and um, and uh, he blew it. He missed, and he's been hunting for decades. And watching that happen reminded me of two things. This guy hunts all the time. It's like his job, for one. So he's hunted more than I'll be able to hunt in my lifetime. He's already hunted. And he still, A, made a mistake, and B, guys like that that we see, as good a guys as they are, they're their job is to go out hunting. So they're logging far more hours than the average hunter will ever be able to log. And so, yeah, if guys like that come away with a buck, they better, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they better, they, they, they spend, they spend that many hours chasing them, you know? And the other part, I'm still brand new. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't expect to get anything. I should have the attitude of what Jake's having where I'm just happy to be out. And I'm, and so I kind of called myself out a little bit in my head, you know, talking to myself. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? This is your first year. You're not going to mm-hmm. be good right away. There's no fast path to success. And it's like as soon as I had that little conversation with myself, which I was starting to have, you know, weeks ago, you know, like you need to stop, you need to chill, you need to, you know, this and that. Mm -hmm. But when I had that like big moment there where I just kind of called myself out, it's like all this pressure instantly evaporated. And, um, I think I went hunting, uh, in Illinois because I still have my Illinois tag and I didn't see a thing. I only saw it was during a, a, a late muzzleloader season, which you're allowed to hunt with an archery tag in in Illinois as long as you're wearing orange. Can't do that with regular gun season. You have to have a separate gun tag. But archery season resumes during uh, late muzzleloader as long as you're wearing hmm. orange. And so I'm out there in my blaze orange, and I just thoroughly enjoyed myself not seeing a deer. I hmm. saw this uh, possum kind of come uh, <laughs> working a ridge line, and then he started walking across this log. Then he must have caught my wind or something and realized somebody was looking at him because he darts back. You can see that video on my Instagram too. And <laughs> it was the most relaxed I'd felt in the woods since that day that um, you and I went on that canoeing trip the oh, wow. very first weekend of hunting. And I just felt that pressure gone and that I was back to enjoying it how I should with the right perspective. And, and, um, you know, that really, that really made things better. And you know what? I don't think I'm going to kill a a deer with my, with my bow this year in Iowa. I don't think it's going to happen. Illinois, I'm still going to give it a try here till the end. Um, a really good friend of mine, shout out to, uh, my buddy, Lucas Fritch, uh, got us some permission on some, uh, um, good ground uh, to hunt 
in Illinois, and um, we're going to try and go at it with bows together and um, see if we can't get a can't get a deer or two. And <laughs> so I'm going to – I still may get a deer with my bow, but all this leads up to what just happened with, with me in this last weekend and my end of the two bucks, two brothers, or whatever the title of this episode is <laughs> going to be. Um, I got a buck. I did. And hopefully you awesome. saw that on my – my social media and um jake was jake was honestly the the first person to know and he uh oh, of course other than than uh my wife who was sitting right there with me and i gotta say it was the greatest moment of my time in in uh the outdoors it, and it wasn't even my first buck it was not it, it was uh definitely not my first deer um but it was still my greatest moment in the outdoors and uh big part of that was getting to share that with my wife and Mm -hmm. and uh really her she went out with me once during bow season we actually had a close opportunity with a a really cool buck um but this was this was a different experience and and uh yeah he i was actually hunting the same stand jake was it's just such a hot stand perfect spot as he said and uh the only deer we saw that morning um until we were walking out we busted a doe <laughs> and almost got a shot at her because uh, that had an antlerless tag too but um we we were sitting there we got in about like jake did a half hour before shooting light doing great on time um it was a really tough walk in the fields had all been uh injected with anhydrous and um that really kind of tears up the fields it doesn't quite it's not as bad as fall tilling which just turns them into a mud hole but they get pretty muddy and pretty lumpy and then when it all freezes it's you know just a giant uh, obstacle course yeah basically and so uh we made our way across all that and um we uh got to the stand at a good time uh it's pretty cold morning um i think it was right around uh 25 maybe maybe a little warmer uh so not even as cold as your day that's how perfect your day was and this is you know a month over a month later (laughs) but uh um snow on the ground snowed a week and a half prior and uh, still a lot of snow around Uh, and you know one of the things i've learned from bow hunting is how to listen for deer you know people always make post memes and stuff and i still get fooled by them too on on occasion but a squirrel you start to learn makes a lot different Mm -hmm. uh, a lot more different noise when it's rustling around on the ground than what a deer does and uh the first thing i was fooled by though was this giant raccoon (laughs) i mean (laughs) giant raccoon (laughs) he came uh he came walking down where the deer normally are are traveling and uh he came came walking by so that was really cool watching him but it was just i mean maybe five minutes after that i hear that telltale trot through the Mm -hmm. the ice and um i looked behind me sure enough nice big bodied buck uh can't quite see his antlers very well yet and I'm just like, all right, I almost have a shot now. I'm just going to let, let him get me a more clear shot. There's too much brush here. And, man, just like clockwork, he walks out right in front of me, broad daylight, no obstacles. And uh, he looks at us, 
and that's the thing you know you're hunting with it's a double stand you're hunting two people so you know more more um more of a chance of getting picked off right but my wife she was and she was on the side that the buck was on she did an excellent job just holding still not staring into his eyes which i really think makes a difference when a when a deer sees your sees your face sees your eyes uh they they kind of uh get clued in that you're not there to uh just take pictures and um (laughs) so he looks at us and he's feeling a little like hmm that's not normally there and uh so he starts to kind of walk angle away from us um but it's gun gun two season in iowa and uh so you know if that was bow season that would have been it but um he uh um kind of angles away from him, starts moving away. Then he looks back at us. Now I can see his rack perfectly. And he's a half rack. And uh, this is where the foreshadowing of that story when Jake and I went hunting together and uh, he passed on that half rack six. But instead of being a being a half rack six, he was like almost a half rack 12. I mean, he had almost six uh, scorable points on his uh, one side that he still had. He, so he, he'll go as a as five points on that one side. But he was busted off all the way down to the base on his uh, left side. And um, I believe we have this deer on trail camera, and uh, mm-hmm. he's been broken off since the picture that we got of him is uh, um, actually our friend got of him with his trail camera. Uh, it was October 26th, and I'm not when I got to look at the picture again and just look at the rack and everything and compare. Um, I'm not 100% sure it's the same deer, just because the deer in that picture still had a brow tine. Um, and this one doesn't even have his uh, brow tine or his G1 uh, anymore. And uh, so I, it could have just been like, you know, basically hanging there and he rubbed it off, you know, again <laughs> later when he broke his rack originally. But um, I'm pretty sure it's the same buck, though. <laughs> and, uh, man, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to let him him pass. He was a big body deer and uh, he's a buck. And, uh, I've always, I've always said, um, you know, I understand why people pass on half racks. I definitely understand why you passed on yours back in October, Mm -hmm. but I always said, I thought it'd be kind of cool to have a half rack. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one thing's for sure about my buck is, uh, with his all busted up rack, he, uh, probably, uh, did and would kick the butt of your buck. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically a Vander Holyfield out there, right? You know, instead yeah. of uh, missing an ear, he's missing an antler. But, uh, <laughs> but um, he, uh, he, uh, no, he was a fighter for sure. And um, uh, big, yeah, uh, I'm not sure his age. I want to measure his jaw after I, I get his head cleaned up. I'm going to do a year amount on him. And uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if he's at least four years old. He's a really big, heavy buck. And, and um, took a, Touched off a shot on him, about 75 yards, perfect wow. quartering, quartering away shot, uh, ripped through his, I think it went through his diaphragm, and uh, Jake helped me uh, clean him up. Uh, if it didn't go through his diaphragm, um, it uh, wrecked his his uh, um, ability to maintain that inner thoracic pressure, you know, for breathing, and uh, maybe even clipped the top of his heart and uh he was dead 
I mean, not down. He was dead within 30 seconds. I've never seen, I've never seen a deer die so quickly. And, you know, I've seen it on, on hunting shows, of course, but I've never seen, I've never seen a, a deer go so quickly. And, and, you know, uh, (laughs) you talked about how you think that maybe it was God keeping you humble on, on where, how your shot ended up working out (laughs) for your deer. And I almost feel like, uh, you He's know. giving you some confidence. Well, yeah, and just like, <laughs> like uh, I don't know, giving me a break, I guess you could say, with, <laughs> with how. Yeah, you definitely earned it. And you <laughs> definitely were due for a quick kill. Right, for how opposite my season had gone so far. And uh, the hours locked, blood tracking yeah. and, and things like that. Just this was, and I even, the, I got it on video. Caitlin videoed me walking up on the buck, and I turned around and said, I was like, for as difficult as everything else had gone, <laughs> <laughs> this was the exact opposite it was it was that's awesome yep it was it was you know i don't want to say it because nothing in hunting is easy but it was as close to easy as it gets and my my gun season you know i still haven't i still well not anymore it's seasons over but i still had an antlerless tag but but honestly my my uh deer season my gun season was over in about 20 minutes <laughs> he uh <laughs> yeah. after shooting light started he was he was dead within That's awesome. 20 minutes and yeah and so yeah it was just wonderful sharing that experience with my wife caitlin and uh, honestly i could not have dragged that deer well maybe i could have it just would have taken me a lot longer but we had to drag him out of the woods and he was so heavy i mean and jake can attest to this because he helped me uh, yeah. but- butcher the buck and uh before you start thinking i'm like some kind of uh of pansy little weakling uh i i played uh it was only division three but i played offensive line uh at at division three uh ncaa level uh football in college so uh um i'm not a small person and this buck was was uh (laughs) he was heavy and it was a it was a tough drag and um it it uh uh, it was good to have Caitlin there to <laughs> to help with that yeah. any way she could. Yeah, Caitlin so. said you had her uh, get in the back of the truck and she pulled it, yeah. pulled on it while you yeah, while well, I shoved him in. Yeah, yeah, that was a oh man, that was a tough thing. And uh, uh, yeah, I have a I have a topper on my truck. Jake drives that big old flatbed, which is so handy in so many ways. But yeah. the topper the topper is great for hunting, honestly, because you can keep all your gear back there. It's safe and secure. No one can steal it and and uh, you know it's it's uh nice and out of the way out of the weather but when it comes to loading up a buck it does make things a lot more challenging and yeah. that thing filled the back of my truck man that thing that's another testament to how big he was he was mm-hmm. he was just a he was a big deer so now it was great having her along and uh sharing that experience and then actually um after we got done dealing with him got him all field dressed dragged him back up to the the truck with a four-wheeler and um got him loaded uh which here's a good tip for that and jake ended up using this as well if you're by yourself that's a real thing and if you're a new hunter uh you may not have thought through this whole process in fact uh um, one of the most real questions i've ever been asked it was after the very first time i ever went deer hunting and uh my dad said and so jake's dad of course uh said what would you have actually done with the deer if you got one? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, good question. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, of course, you know, I would have figured it out to get it field dressed and everything. But, but that's a real thing that, 
that you gotta you gotta think through the entire process you know Mm -hmm. and one of those is how do you get that off the ground into the back of your vehicle by yourself yeah you think you can just bear hug it and throw throw it in but yeah no No, you you cannot they're they're just i mean maybe if you shot like some tiny little fawn or something yeah you could sling that up there a little button buck or something but you get a you get a buck that's over two and a half years old at least here in iowa um you're you're even if you're a a uh we'll say you're a crossfit warrior man (laughs) the peak of physical fitness right there right if you are a stinking crossfit warrior i i still think you're gonna you're gonna be wanting a helping hand to get that Mm -hmm. thing loaded so what do you do well jake with his handy dandy flatbed uh actually i get credit for this idea i gave it to you maybe you i I actually didn't use this idea it didn't work for me my boards are too small oh okay well it ended up working for me i used uh four-wheeler loading ramps to do this load so put first of all find a rise in the ground if you can so where your tailgate of your truck if you hopefully you have a That's truck or the idea. back of your back of your uh, suv or something find where you can kind of sit down from that rise in the ground so that the the bed of your truck or the back of your your suv is almost level as or as close to level as you can so i found a spot like that then i used a loading ramp for a four-wheeler and uh, I laid it on the back of my tailgate and created as uh, little of an incline as possible. Then uh, my wife and I dragged the buck up onto the ramp. And then, uh, like Jake said, I had my wife get up in the truck to pull while I lifted the buck up on that board and like a big lever, basically. And then I shoved the buck into the truck and uh, she helped kind of situate the legs and and uh, uh, pull it in a little bit. And then I, you know, shoved on it from behind. And uh, I, I had to climb in and shift them around a little bit. But it actually worked really, really well. It's still hard work, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it worked really well. It, it wouldn't have worked for for uh, just me and, and Caitlin to hoist that thing in ourselves and i don't know jake what would you say you helped me hoist that thing up to butcher it would you say that thing weighed maybe 230 pounds well probably yeah. not probably not anymore without the guts out of him but but uh yeah i don't i'm not super experienced enough to know what it would weigh but boy i mean you and me were both pulling on it with all of our weight to get it up with the pulley so right right <laughs> and it's gotta be somewhere between somewhere in there yeah, yeah. I mean, and then you know when that thing was full of guts, when when Caitlin and I dragged it out to a, to a good spot to gut him, you know he was he was really heavy. And so uh, certainly there's been many many more deer that are much bigger than the one that uh, I killed, but um, he was definitely uh, my best buck. Even even though he's a half rack, he's just a real big body buck. And um, man, what a fulfilling experience though and yeah, that's so cool so thankful with how everything else went to to have him uh man it it truly was the most meaningful day i've ever had in the woods and um, probably one of the more meaningful days you had with caitlin too just uh that's a fun i don't know if you'd want to call it a date but uh an adventure ex- yeah shared experience. experience yeah you're right you're right you're exactly right yeah and so then you know just to kind of put the icing on the cake so we got the deer all loaded up 
and uh, Caitlin still had a tag. I still had an antlerless tag, but obviously it was her turn to to do the shooting now. And uh, so we went back out, and uh, we, you know, Caitlin, she she goes for my my you know my <laughs> encouragement or you know to to make me happy but uh, she was having fun too but she wasn't she wasn't looking forward to a big long careful walk into the stand after we <laughs> we did that in the morning so we drove in on the four-wheeler we we're going to go to this spot that jake and i have had a lot of success hunting in the past we both uh, have killed deer from and um so <laughs> I should have thought this through because last year during the late muzzleloader season, which was very close to the time that we're hunting now, um, Jake had seen all kinds of bucks in this spot. Mm. And um, one of them was the one that you shot, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, that's what, what Jake believes, yeah. And uh, so I I just, I don't know, I... I I, I I had forgotten about it. You know, I'm on cloud nine. I got a buck in the, the truck and everything. And so I should have thought it through. But as soon as we like crest the hill on that four wheeler, this area of cover that I'm talking about just like erupts. I mean, there is just loaded with those and uh, like, like 12 to 15 does just start flying out of there. And it's like, Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. That's oh where gosh. all the deer were this morning. <laughs> and and uh then right after that as we're like getting our wits about us, you know, you know how that is when you see something like that, you're just like you're just stuck for a second there. Uh it's it's our turn to be the deer in the headlights, right? <laughs> and and uh so we're like standing there, you know, dumbfounded. Oh no, there goes all the deer. Up jump two really nice mature bucks you know at least 150s class bucks they're bedded right next to each other and uh they clear out and it's are you kidding me well it's like well you know so we i i gave caitlin the gun and and uh tried creeping up on that cover to see if there's any stragglers that you know because sometimes deer will stand there and look back at you for a while and so they all cleared out though they ran out and uh so we uh we went ahead and went on to our spot you know kind of like well i don't know if we're gonna see anything and so we uh we both uh sat down on our spot there ground hunted and it's honestly one of my most favorite places in the world that little spot there where where we hunt and uh I just kind of relaxed there in the tall grass, you know, out of sight from the deer. Caitlin's sitting, uh, leaned up against a tree, and she's actually so tired. She she works a, a night shift as a nurse uh, in the ICU, actually. So she's been a true uh, COVID hero uh, during all of this. And um, she uh, uh, she's worn out from work. And uh, she, uh, of course, we had the super early you know, wake up to get out to hunt. And so she's, uh, she's asleep. Well, uh, we, nothing's happening yet. It's still pretty early for the deer action, you know, it's not even three o'clock yet. And, uh, then, you know, she wakes up of course, and I'm still, you know, kind of just laying there glassing, looking for deer. All of a sudden she's like, Hey, Hey, Hey. And like, 
I had, I don't know how I missed them. Honestly, it was the way you got your first doe, uh, the first deer you awesome. ever got. It was, it was the almost the exact same situation. Suddenly, deer, <laughs> and uh, yep. these two deer come out, and, and these two does, and they're just down in these trees. And I think they kind of like recognized us a little bit up on the hill. Um, we probably weren't being careful enough. Uh, but they weren't really spooked, but they moved in the opposite direction of us. And Caitlin spotted them. She almost got a shot. They were a little bit out of range. She couldn't quite get a clear shot at them. Um, so, you know, I was really proud of her, how she handled all that. And, and uh, definitely got her heart going. So she got a taste of the best part of hunting. And um, uh, then it was kind of quiet for a little bit. And then uh, across the way on on a, a neighbor about a half mile away we can just see so far from this spot um they had 15 or 20 deer just thoroughly enjoying the sunlight on the south facing slope i've heard (laughs) some pretty prominent people or one very prominent person in the deer industry say how south facing slopes are bogus and uh i just i don't buy it too many people find sheds and beds on south facing slopes and what i watched these deer doing on the south facing slope i mean it was they were prancing around as if they were like waiting for santa to hook them up to his sleigh i mean they <laughs> they were they were just having the time of their, time of their life about 15 or 20 of them just running around dancing around playing and, reindeer games yeah playing reindeer games making fun of rudolph yeah uh but uh they were they were um they're just living it up and uh so you know that was really cool to watch well then you know i'm still glassing and then they show up about eight deer funnel out of the the big timber we were hunting earlier in the morning and uh uh first it was like six does and then there were two bucks that followed them and uh again wasn't able to get a shot a clear shot they're too just too far out for her comfort range and it was getting to be that last light so it's kind of hard to find stuff in the scope um and uh but still got her heart rate going she got really close to getting an opportunity and uh it was just awesome i mean just awesome and then on our way back of course we get back to the area where we spooked all those deer and uh it's now after shooting light but there's still a little light in the sky and like just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and we're like seeing deer on the neighbors you know skylining and uh then we see one up on uh this ridge and it's a doe old old doe and uh she's uh just kind of we thought she was looking at us but then i pulled my binos up and she was looking the other way and just on the horizon there just cutting us off from getting back to the four-wheeler we had to wait there for a while for her to go away because we didn't want to spook anything be too hard on the deer you know pressure wise and uh it was just the most beautiful yeah the most beautiful thing and uh uh finally you know we're like how are we going to get out of here we tried hitting the grunt tube to make her think you know some annoying buck was in the area and she needed to get out of there i tried doing a snort wheeze call she could not care less either she couldn't hear us or she couldn't care less and uh she just kept you know browsing on those soybeans well finally thankfully a coyote starts yipping not too far away and man the second that happened she was gone she just took off instantly and uh so we were able to get back and yeah it was just an awesome experience uh uh, truly sounds uh, like it yeah so now everything else 
you know going forward here i don't know if you're well i do know you're doing one more trip for late muzzleloader and uh hopefully uh you'll have some success there but i'm gonna still do a little archery or quite a bit of archery hunting in illinois and uh definitely want to do some pheasant hunting with with the dogs uh take advantage of this uh you know banner year for pheasants here in iowa mm-hmm. and uh but man everything's gravy from here on out you know it's it's uh truly been a a, the most satisfying season i've had yet with just the work put into it the stretch myself in in new ways and and even as far as we were just talking about you and me butchering a deer by ourselves Mm -hmm. for the for the first time you know just just uh been such a, a year of growth and and uh figuring out how to become a better hunter and yeah for sure i know it's been inspiring to me to watch you and um uh hopefully uh um you've you've been enjoying it for yourself so yeah really it's been a good year i've really enjoyed just everyone everyone that's poured into me you know kind of dragging me along to go hunting and uh i've i feel like i've really just enjoyed it i'm glad that you guys have pushed me to uh put the time in and uh enjoy it so uh thank you for pushing me and for giving me all the information and the knowledge and bike for giving me the bow i mean <laughs> yeah. it was almost season handed to me you know in a package for free oh you still got to go out and get it you still got to go out yeah. and get it and it's it's there's nothing easy about hunting that's for sure so mm-hmm. now we're I'm, I'm happy i could play that role and and uh um you know maybe make up for some of the ways i was a terrible older brother growing up making you <laughs> wander into lakes and stuff like that so. <laughs> no, tackle been, sticks in the ground yeah that's right no that's uh I'm, I'm glad i could could help you so well thank you to uh you listeners as well you guys have been a huge encouragement um all along the way so far uh, hopefully we'll have a, a great 2021 starting up here uh i think there will be one more podcast after this one in 2020 uh be probably the oh, last wow. day probably be a new year's eve i believe will be when the the next one drops so um we'll we'll get to 2021 when it gets here right but uh <laughs> there's definitely still some hunting season left especially if uh, you're down south i know your guys season goes a little bit longer i think you even still have the rut to look forward to so i'm gonna try and get somebody on that could maybe help us uh talk a little bit of southern hunting here into this time of year and and uh wherever you're at though whatever kind of season you have left even if it's not deer season maybe you got small game or something like that I hope you're still having success. Hope you're having a lot of fun, and I hope this podcast and everything else that uh, put out for you at First Gen Hunter has been helpful to you. Jake, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. For sure. Everyone listening, please make sure you don't forget about Brandon and his team over at Hunt Fish Life. Go to thehuntfishlife.com. Follow them on Instagram. Follow them on Facebook. Check out their gear shop. Load up on Hunt Fish, Hunt Fish Life gear and uh, represent their brand and and, uh, interact with them on their pages and then of course head over to firstgenhunter.com you can link up on instagram facebook go wild subscribe to the youtube channel Um, you can even look me up on linkedin yep and uh (laughs) I'll, i'll be happy to connect with you there but uh whatever whatever way you can interact appreciate it make sure you're uh 
course, uh, subscribe to the podcast and leave those uh, likes and comments and and, uh, uh, reviews. Really appreciate that and uh, hope this can always be a great resource to you and, and help you establish yourself as a hunter whether or not you're first gen or or a savvy old pro hope there's always something here for you guys to enjoy and learn and uh, make you uh, that much better in the woods so thanks again jake everyone yep, have a uh, merry christmas i believe this will drop on christmas eve and uh of course can't can't have an episode without saying it take care and take someone hunting